0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn. Open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet in 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA.
0: If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market.
2: Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival.
1: How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What
3: happens when your guest is a no-show? Find out on this show. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. I love to say that because I love to think about this show going worldwide on the internet. So exciting. And today, if you are listening to this show, that's because my guest did not show up. Doing a live radio show is a lot of fun. It's exciting. It's a visceral thrill, but it's also a little bit nerve-wracking because sometimes people don't show up. And if your guest doesn't show up, you're sitting in a shipping container by yourself with no one but your engineer to keep you company. Good so, thing he's
2: so damn good at his job.
3: Yes, he's, he's, got, he's got a light touch on the sound FX. So one day um, last season... When my guest didn't show up, it was a late alarm clock rush to the Uber situation where it was a few minutes to 11 and I got the text that the guest was not going to make it. I reran an old episode, which I do sometimes. I typically rerun my favorite episode of the moment. And Dave and I talked about putting a show in the can for the rainy day when a guest wouldn't show up. And wouldn't it be funny to do a show about the show? We thought we were so clever and it was very meta, but there might be some things that listeners want to know about Tech Bytes that we don't ever get time to talk about. So today, because we have time, because my guest was a no-show, we're going to do a show about the show. So joining me on my no-show show is Heritage Radio Studio Manager and Tech bites Engineer David Tattashore.
2: Hello. We are looking inward today.
3: And we're going to have a weird conversation together, but we're separated by a door, a wall, and some glass windows. a <laughs> space between us. It's where I, you know, we're, we're in like two little cubicle cells or it's a little bit like visiting day at, you know, some, some facility.
2: <laughs> An aquarium, let's say.
3: Where we're talking between glass.
2: Oh, you so, meant like a correctional facility.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, booking guests and having the guests show up is is one of the real stress points of being a radio host. And I started Tech Bytes in January of 2015, and I was really afraid at the beginning that people were not going to show up. And my first line of defense for people showing up is that I would schedule a pre-show phone interview so I could talk to people, see what they would be like, see how they answer questions, and also really hear them promise me that they were going to show up on time to do the show. After that, the next piece, also, you know, being a new radio host, also a little intimidated, it's intimidating being your own host. And I listened to a bunch of other shows that have co-hosts and more people. And I listened to other shows that also talk to the engineer. So I decided that I was going to bring the engineer into the show as the second voice, sort of as my my co-host on the couch. And the vehicle to do that is the first section of the show, which is talking about apps. So at the beginning of every show, we go around the room and we talk about apps. It's act one of Tech Bytes. It's a public service announcement where people get to discover new apps. Maybe you really don't care about the guest or you're not interested in the show topic, but everybody likes an app. There are... About 2.8 million apps available on Android and about 2.2 million apps available on iOS. So chances are people got them. And I go around the shipping container. I ask guests, what's your favorite app? And I ask the engineer, what's your favorite app? So David, do, do most guests, I mean, do most hosts or other hosts have you participated in their shows?
2: Uh, in different ways and, and depending on the show, uh, like for example, cooking issues. I mean, I'm, I'm always on the mic in that they, they treat me as almost like another host, although I don't, I don't really say as much as, as Dave or Nastasia. Um, and then yeah, certain other shows, I mean, I'll chime in here and there, but it's usually not like, a running throughout the length of the program kind of involvement. It's just like, I'm the... I'm the uh, Ed McMahon over on the couch or the Andy Richter or whatever you want to call it.
3: (laughs) So, Cooking Issues is the Dave Arnold show where they get call-ins and answer questions about cooking from people and then also have guests. And they're a a really interactive, slightly rambunctious show with a lot of people talking.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Lots of people talking at the same time.
3: And... We also did a show with you about your podcast show.
2: That's right. What's the story? Uh, Wtspodcast.com, in case you forgot.
3: It's episode number 88, if anybody wants to check that out.
2: Oh, good look. I forgot the episode number.
3: I looked it up and wrote it down. I'm also in front of my computer with the iTunes library of all the Tech Bytes episodes. Ah, the archive. So do you prefer being the podcast podcaster or podcast engineer?
2: Um, I guess uh, it's hard to really answer. I guess it really depends on the context and I enjoy both. So yeah, I know that's not really much of an answer, but uh, yeah, it really just depends on the situation and, you know.
3: Do you like being incorporated into some of the shows?
2: I do. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, And like I said, it varies from show to show. Um, So at this point, you know, I definitely know my... What, what role i play and and how not to overstep those bounds like some shows i don't think i could play any sound effects and nor would i want to to <laughs> insert myself in a way that was undesirable but on others uh it's it's encouraged and um yeah i like the having the variety
3: So one of the things that we do with the apps also is it breaks the ice with the guests, but it's also an interesting look into people's personality. sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes people are playing games, sometimes they're using a learn a new language app because they're going on vacation or they downloaded an accounting app because they do freelance work. And Dave, you tend to gravitate towards personal internet security apps.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe it's just my heightened sense of, paranoia in general. Yep.
3: <laughs> Did you know that you were going to be on the hook for the app segment and to be sort of the, uh, host from the booth when you rolled onto the show? Well,
2: I, no, I mean, Jack gave me some warning <laughs> to, just to <laughs> have something ready to go at least that first week. But, uh, no, I had no idea that that I would be really involved with any of the shows from the very beginning. And, uh, it's, it's been challenging. I have to say, like, I mean, it, <laughs> I'm sure From your end, it's like a way of ensuring that I'm paying attention and I'm present because I definitely have to uh, have something every week or the show is going to come to a halt, a grinding halt.
3: Well, it's actually really, it never occurred to me that it was a checkpoint to see if you were paying attention. The impetus really (laughs) was at the very beginning that... I was afraid there was going to be dead air or, yeah. you know, there would be moments when I didn't have anything to say, or I wanted the, the security of having, you know, like a wingman for all intents and purposes. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I, I mean, I'm only being half serious. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're doing it just to like check up on me or anything, but, but no, it has been like, uh, it has been a challenge to, to make sure I have something interesting to talk about. Uh.
3: In 2015, I think it was, we had an intern for the summer. His name was Declan. He was a high school kid. And um, he was interning in the booth. And the first time I asked him if he had an app and brought him onto the show, that was definitely to see if he was sleeping on the, <laughs> on, the on the control panel or not. That was funny. He was a very thoughtful young man. He had apps like Mobile Justice and things like that.
2: Oh, wow. I don't yeah. think I ever met him. But I, I do remember, of course, young Malcolm, uh, our Hall of Fame intern, who he was also really good and thoughtful when, when asked to get on the microphone, I think.
3: So we've had a lot of interns. We've had a lot of voices. If you are a person who is interested in apps, we started back on episode four in 2015 and actually did a compilation of the What's Your Favorite App segments, which is episode 108. And uh, there are some really, really funny things in
2: there. And I'm running out of apps. So uh, if anybody has any suggestions, please uh, send them my way.
3: Yes, we are very interactive. If you have an app that you'd like us to talk about, you should get in touch and give us a shout. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. That's B-I-T-E-S. You can find us also on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bytes, HRN. We've had some interesting uh, shout outs and suggestions from listeners, which is always great. So that's act one of the show. Um, oh but you know what, before we, we we move too far forward, David, do you have any um, interesting, terrifying, horrifying stories about guests not showing up?
2: Yeah, you know, honestly, I was I was trying to think if there were any that were really like crazy or, or traumatic in any way. And I, I think honestly the the one that was the most stressful, I guess, was that time that your guest didn't show up because
3: was we it the Uber alarm clock one or was it the snowy day after the blizzard? I think it was the alarm clock
2: one. one because we didn't know what was going on and we were trying to, to figure out, okay, is this person coming? Right. If they do come is, you know, what's it, the, what's the point of no return where we, cause there's another show immediately following yours. So like, at what point do we say, well, there's just no way that we can do a show of, a you know, acceptable length, right. um, And yeah. And then I think honestly, that was probably the most uh, chaotic time that that's ever happened. Because usually we'll hear like the day of like a couple hours in advance or or something like that. It's never like, you know,
3: moments before
2: anxiously watching the door, literally moments before. I think it
3: was like five to 11 or something like that when we got the final word that not coming. Yeah. Or 20 minutes away. And then it's like, oh, that's too late. That's too far. Yeah, we can't do it. What you don't see, though, is when people cancel sometimes before the show. And if people cancel like the day before, it's really tough sometimes to find someone who's a relevant subject, good speaker, available in New York, ready to roll for a live radio show the next day. Yeah. Um, So what you don't see is the stress of when people cancel, you know, anywhere from 48 to 24 hours ahead. It's just, it's, stressful
2: but yeah i mean you w- when you first started talking about it and you're saying like you were you were concerned about how how is this going to work every week how how are, are these guests gonna consistently show up and not bail like i i find it kind of surprising like how how well this works out generally i mean people do they they show up for their for their committed time and uh we have a lot of shows we have over 30 shows every week that are live and um, our our success rate is pretty high in terms of, of guests actually making uh, it here for their appearance.
3: That's awesome. How many shows do phone-ins? That's the other thing about this show. We, I did one or two shows at the very, very beginning where I had people call in, and it was just awkward for me yeah. to have people on the phone and not have that physical eye-to-eye contact and be able to see people. So my show is always live with people in the studio, um, but there are a bunch of shows that do phone-ins, right?
2: There are a handful that do exclusively phone-ins, uh, certainly not the majority. And then some others do a mix, you know, they, they try to do live in studio whenever possible. And then, you know, if it's just a great guest or they can't make it for whatever reason, they're in another part of the country or the world, then, you know, of course the option to have them call in is nice to have, but, but yeah, I think you're right. It, it's missing that nonverbal elements of the conversation which really you know what do they say that's like 70 percent of human communication is nonverbal so it really does uh its absence is felt when when you don't have that
3: isn't that interesting the absence is felt on something that has no visual cues which is the podcast which is completely auditory
2: well it just goes to show the power of radio and audio (laughs) the magic
3: It's all happening in the shipping container. Well, we will find out, we'll take a quick break right now to find out who is powering this episode. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. Maybe you didn't know. We keep the lights on and the mics hot 100% out of the generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, members, and grants. So let's take a listen and find out who
1: is supporting this show today. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52 acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn featuring spectacular plant displays year round. On Thursday, August 23rd, Brooklyn Botanic Garden will host the Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one of a kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. And mark your calendars for the annual Chili Pepper Festival on Saturday, September 29th. New York's hottest fall tradition will set the garden ablaze with scorching bands from around the world, dozens of fiery food artisans, and hours of chili chocolate debauchery. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org.
3: Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. We talk about apps, software platforms, cooking tech, restaurant tech, all kinds of stuff. But today, we're not talking to an influencer or an innovator in the food tech space because my guest didn't show up. Today, we're doing a show about the show with some behind-the-scenes details that we're talking about with Dave Tadashore, the studio manager and our engineer. We just came out of the break from listening to who our sponsor is this week. And, you know, we are always looking for sponsors and partners for Tech Bytes. Heritage Radio Network has been around since 2009, and it is a nonprofit. And it's sort of like public radio, public TV, uh, it's a platform for us to talk about our food stories, to record and save our food history, and uh, try and make the world a more delicious place, one sound bite at a time. But it takes money to keep 30 live shows on the air every week, and we do that with underwriters and sponsors. So if you are interested in reaching our listeners from 165 countries around the world, If you are interested in being a show that is one of those million listens a month, if you want your brand story living on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify forever and ever until the end of the internet, get in touch with us. We would love to partner with you. We have a lot of creative marketing power happening here, and we really have one of the best culinary media communities in the world. So get in touch, TechBytes at HeritageRadioNetwork dot org. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to work with you. So, Dave, you part of what you do um, as studio manager and sort of being in charge of everything that's on the tech and production side. Having been founded in two thousand nine, how how many how many shows do we have in the library now?
2: Uh, at this point, over ten thousand, um, and that's probably well. We said 10,000 a couple months ago, um, so it's, it's only grown from there, obviously. Um, probably thousands more, so maybe getting closer to 15 at this point.
3: That's amazing. And we are about 30 live shows a week now. Correct. Which is also amazing, and our broadcast schedule is Sunday to Thursday.
2: Sunday through Thursday, yep.
3: Sunday through Thursday. So much radio. It's amazing. And all different types of subjects from cooking to food history, to farming, to school lunch, to Spanish language shows.
2: Something for everybody.
3: Something for everybody. All flavors. 31 flavors. (laughs) That might be a good tagline.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure nobody's taken that.
3: No, definitely not. Um, So, closing out on what this show is about... Do you have any observations from the booth, Dave?
2: Well, yeah, I was I was curious actually. So you said you started here in what was it, 2015?
3: January 2015. Okay,
2: so that was about a year before I joined the company. Um, like, how did you first hear about Heritage Radio? How did you first approach us? I mean, I just when I walked in, you were here, so I have no idea. I what was your, here. I was already <laughs> sitting
3: here with the headphones on. In yeah, front you were of just waiting.
2: So I have no idea what your story is. You got, an app. You, got is. an
3: app you like today, Dave? <laughs> And mispronouncing your name for the first, what, four months?
2: I think I, I, I corrected you, I'm sure.
3: <laughs> so I was a blogger. I was one of the original food bloggers back in 2005. I had a blog called Snack. It is still online as an archive sort of snapshot of a moment in time. It's snack.blogs.com. And I started in 2005, um, I had been writing a daily column for Epicurious that was very blog-like. For a frame of reference, Eater also started in 2005. Uh, Grub Street, New York Magazine uh, started shortly thereafter. So it was really the dawn of the internet food restaurant blogging. Mm, yeah, And I was working as a food writer at the time, and having a blog was an amazing platform where I could talk about food stories that I loved, things that interested me, and I could write about them in my own voice, which you can't do when you write for another publication.
2: Are you allowed to say what that was, that publication?
3: Oh, I was a freelance writer, so I wrote for lots of gotcha. publications. Okay. New York Magazine, Bon Appetit, Singapore Straits Times, Epicurious, um, all kinds of stuff. So I did that for a while, and then career changes, and I stopped writing, and I stopped blogging. And then I think it was probably 2014, I started getting a hankering to write again and do some more editorial work and maybe blog again and find a platform where I could talk about stories that interested me. And I started looking around online at the different writing platforms. And technologically speaking, there are some really great platforms like Medium and you know, different things like that, which have all the bells and whistles. But what they were missing is they kind of weren't really ahead of the curve anymore. There wasn't really anything new about blogging or writing online. And I was missing, you know, kind of that perfect storm of, of having a platform for my own voice, but also being a little new tech and a little exciting. So I kept looking for something that would satisfy all those things. And I came to podcasting. And it was kind of starting to grow, and technology also made it possible. And it was an interesting combination of tech for podcasting, but because you listen to people's voices, and you listen most times on headphones, and it's very personal and very close, it's also very analog and a little retro. It has an interesting sort of dichotomy to me of being high-tech driven, but talking and listening, which is something we do less and less because of... Texting and email and all that kind of stuff. So I said, hmm, maybe I should have a podcast. I'm officially going to say podcasting is the new blog. And then the question was, well, where do I do a podcast? And the answer was Heritage Radio Network. So I had known about Heritage for a while. I knew different people who were doing shows. And I basically got introduced to Aaron Fairbanks who was the executive director of Heritage Radio at the time and I did a survey of all the shows on heritage what were they talking about there was a book there was a show on books cooking issues farming school lunch all those kinds of things but there was not a show about tech so I got a meeting with Aaron and I pitched a tech show and did a pilot. And then a few months later, kicked off show number one in January of 2015.
2: Very cool. That's how yeah. it happens.
3: That's it. That's my story.
2: And do you think, uh, I mean, I'm sure that you, you've learned a lot of things along the way. Like, how, how has your approach to putting the show together changed over those years? Like how, how do you think you're doing it differently than you were when you first started?
3: Well, I approached the show very much like a journalist, which is what I've, you know, went to school for and what I did for many, many years. So very much a subject, a person, research, interview, interview questions. And my first few episodes, maybe the first year or the first season, I was of the mind that my opinion should be less present in the show, that I shouldn't really be interjecting like an opinion. It should be like writing an article for a newspaper where I want to be unbiased objective. and let the guests be objective, let the guests talk about things, let them present the information, ask questions, and and just do that. And feedback that I got from people, and I love feedback to hear you know, how things are going or what people hear, was no. People will listen to the radio because they want to hear your opinion. I said, oh, well, that's not journalistic, but that's interesting. So maybe I'll try that. So progressively, little by little, that was one of the big changes that I made where I started putting my own opinion in a little bit more, my own frame of reference. So that was one thing. And then also, it's hard to know sometimes like how fun to be, <laughs> how fun, how serious, um, get to the story. You know, I vacillate, I, and I listen to all of my shows, which is the other thing that I've learned is that you never really get to like the sound of your own voice. Very true. And some days I feel like my voice is very quiet and maybe not quite so energetic. And sometimes I feel like I have a great sound, um, and it's hard to replicate that sometimes or necessarily know what those triggers are. So. Um, I also have evolved in terms of having more single subject guests and then having evolved into having a guest pitch their product or service or tech to someone who would be a potential customer, which is interesting because then they can have a deeper real life conversation about things.
2: Yeah. And it it makes it so they have a bigger stake in it too, the pitch shows. I like that.
3: So that's good. That's a development that happened, I think, last year, um, which I really like and we'll continue to do more and more of that. And um, I think that's it. I, one thing that we started to do, one thing that I did at the end of every show for a, a long time was ask people for a piece of advice for listeners. I always asked guests for a piece of actionable advice that was somehow related to their expertise. And I stopped doing that this year just to change things. And then at the end of the show talked about events happening in the food tech space in New York, around the country, around the world, so that if listeners are interested in going out and experiencing something or meeting people or doing a meetup or listening, learning, um, that's sort of like PSA. So to start the show with the PSA of the apps and then to end with a PSA about events.
2: Cool. And what's what can we expect? What can uh, listeners expect to hear in the coming season that they haven't heard before from Tech Bites?
3: Oh, that's an excellent question. Last season, we, for the first time, I, for the first time, took out one of those Zoom recorders and recorded a panel on food tech that I did with General Assembly at one of the General Assembly spaces in Manhattan. It's a great, um, it was a great seminar with three women food tech CEOs. And I recorded the whole thing and it was long. It was about two hours, so we broke it into two pieces and broadcast those as shows and if you're interested in going back and listening at those those are episode 133 and 134 but that was sort of a revelation in that i go out and do and see so many people in the food tech space that i am going to try and get more proficient with the zoom recorder because you recall that i didn't actually turn it off or i I didn't figure i couldn't figure out how to stop the recording so i just turned off the machine (laughs) And go out into the world and record more things, you know, on location, out in real life at different events, and then maybe bring them back as episodes as they are in real time, or maybe do some shows where we edit in different things um, to bring sort of more of the tech, food tech life into the show. Do you have any suggestions? Is there something you've been thinking about? You are a producer, we know, from your other radio. That's true. Show. Uh,
2: from what's the story, wtspodcast.com. I was a co-producer of that and, and the sound
3: engineer and the
2: sound engineer, designer, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, so, so obviously most of the shows that we have on the network are in the one-on-one or maybe, you know, one-on-two or three interview style, which is great, but it is nice when, uh, people take for example, the Zoom recorder out into the field and record something. And then it's not just like, not just a straight recording of like a panel or, or a speech or whatever. But, you know, you can take clips from, say, different interviews or, or um, you know, just anything out in the field and then combine that with narration or, or music or sound design to create like more of a narrative storytelling experience. I always think that's an exciting way to work.
3: So create more produced packages of things. Totally. Where it's a whole complete idea.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: Because you have done so much producing and produced your own shows and different kinds of shows, I'm sure there are listeners who would love to have their own podcast. Do you have any recommendations or words of wisdom for people who would like to take their computer or maybe their phone and start a podcast of their own?
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a... It's a loaded question because, I mean, with all media right now, I'm about to get on the soapbox, like the barriers for entry have been lowered so much. And I I think that's great. I mean, I don't think that recording equipment or, you know, anything that can help you be creative should be uh, prohibitively expensive or or difficult to obtain. But at the same time, I feel like having such easy access to it has lowered certain standards of quality. And this is like, I'm probably going to get an earful from listeners about this. I mean, I'm not saying that like everything is bad, like (laughs) everything is terrible. Of course, there's a lot of great content out there. So I think it just means that you need to be more aware of like how to use the tools at your disposal. Um, So I would just encourage people You know, don't just go out and buy the cheapest mic you can from Best Buy and and don't just like, you know, sit in your bedroom with the air conditioner on and and also have a plan, like know what you want to do. I mean, if you have something to say, say it in a way that is compelling and interesting. I mean, we have Facebook for people if you just want to get up there and and rant to the void. Like, but if you're going to make a podcast, then I just think you should be more thoughtful about it.
3: Are there any places or resources on the internet that you think are good, you know, places for people to learn podcasting 101 kind of thing? Yeah, Anything come um, to mind?
2: Yeah, the website Transom is really good for that. It's like Ransom, but with a T mm-hmm. at the beginning, Transom. Um, yeah, they have a lot of great resources. And in terms of, like, the audio side, I mean, I come from, like, a recording studio background, like, you know, working with musicians and bands. Um, so, like, that's how I learned about audio obviously not everybody can have that experience but there are a lot of great uh even on like youtube tutorials for learning how to use pro tools or other types of recording software how to use microphones like you just i think you just need to do like as much research as you possibly can um about anything that you're passionate about i think that's true of you know you just have to put in the work and not not think that it's going to come easy
3: just because you have a Camera, phone, and Instagram account doesn't make you a professional photographer.
2: Right, exactly. And just because you have (laughs) a podcast doesn't make you a podcaster.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the other things that I did when I was first starting my show, I listened to a bunch of different podcasts which were for voice actors. And it was podcasting about how to be a voice actor, different things or tips on doing voice work. Okay. Because I wanted to work on my voice. Which is not a tech thing, but it's a it's a real thing working on your voice. So there are always things out there to your point where if you're going to do something, you know, think about the whole all the pieces that come together to make the whole and then start looking at what's the bestest, most professionalist, you know, way to be expressing what you want to express.
2: Yeah, hone your craft. You don't mm-hmm. have to buy the most expensive things, but but hone your craft and and be smart about it.
3: Hone your craft and be smart about it. That's good advice. It's funny when you started talking about people and the bar being so low. I immediately went to content and things people were saying, but I guess you were talking about the the tech and the production side.
2: Well, both both things. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to like focus on one or the other. Um, yeah, it's more of a holistic thing. Like you. I think you should be conscious of that in all areas of what you're doing.
3: Should we do a how to have a podcast seminar?
2: Um, Yeah, we'll have to discuss pricing, but uh, (laughs) sure.
3: You never know. If people are interested, we could do something. I mean, there's a a lot of those
2: things. Now, you know, see, there's always these like podcasting seminars and, and conventions. I'm not really sure how... How much people are taking away from that? Because um, and it's tough too to like to talk to people about because everybody has a completely different professional path. Like you can make sort of generalized suggestions on on best practices or, or whatever, but like at the end of the day, people just need to find their own way and be resourceful. Like that's something you can't really glean from, uh, teach people how to MacGyver. Yeah. Right.
3: There's no conference for how to be MacGyver.
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I mean, that's, that's referring to both technical and, and, uh, other types of skills and, and creativity and,
3: you know, whatever. Interesting. Well, maybe we can do a show about how to do a podcast. That might be fun. Maybe that'll be our next no show show. It's always good to have a show in the can for when your guest doesn't show up.
2: I might be a no-show that week.
3: (laughs) Where is this? That was a perfect place for a sound effect.
2: (laughs) Like uh, one of these, maybe.
3: Exactly that one. Exactly that one. That was the one that I was listening to in my head. (laughs) Well,
2: we're always finishing each other's sandwiches.
3: Oh yes, yes. Even between the even between the plate glass. So we are just about out of time and I don't have any events really to talk about right now um, because I'm not quite sure when you will be listening to this in the future. But something that always happens on Tech Bytes is that we close the show, we open the show and close the show with that amazing little techno track. And when I first started the show, they said, well, what's your theme song? And I said, oh my, well, obviously I would love to have a theme song, but I actually don't have one. And Jack Inslee, who was the first engineer on the show, is also a music producer and DJ. Some of you may remember him from episodes past, or if you're a, a rabid listener of Heritage Radio, he had a few shows and was here at the beginning.
0: Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee.
3: Exactly. He lives forever on the internet. He had a friend, has a friend, DJ friend, named Uptown Nico. And he said, I have the perfect song for you. And he played the track and that track became our theme song. And I have to say that it is the best way to start the show when guests are in the booth. And most of the guests who come on Tech Bites are from the food tech space. They are not media trained most of them have never done radio or a live interview. And everybody's kind of a little... There's a baseline always of nervousness. But that song is so happy. And it, you know, people kind of bop around and, and tap their feet. And so we're going to have a little... We're going to take... We're going to close the show. I had Jack and Uptown Nico on the show in the first year. Episode 34. It's called DJ Takeover. It was a lot of fun. And at the very end of the show, I asked Nico how he made the song and so we're going to take you out with nico talking about the creation of the tech bites theme song and then of course we get we get a listen i want to thank jack and nico for sharing some love today with their music yeah,
2: it's a pleasure to be here it's good it's yeah good thanks. To hang out. thanks for inviting us this is a lot of fun
3: and a special thanks to nico for giving us that great song that well. we all love <laughs> now nico what's the name of that song
0: Oh, the Nomada CPU track. So I made a song, and uh, I, made, I made a song, like, about three years ago, and um, the file was messed up. So I was finally able to open it. So I, in a scramble for 20 seconds, I was able to export this uh, lead synth that I made. And then from there, I made the Tech Bytes introduction song that you're using. So I just called it a Nomada track because it, it didn't matter. I was like, oh. No matter. No matter.
3: No matter. And it's really perfect. That's one of those mistakes bring the bestest uh, things yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it is a beautiful Always. mistake. And we're going to listen to it one more time when Liz takes us out. This is Jennifer Leuzzi on Tech Bytes. Peace.